Hey guys, could we have a heart to heart? Good. I'm here to talk to you about the last 24 hours. The last 24 hours that we haven't been together. I know, right? It's been so sad. And a lot has changed over those 24 hours. Things have gotten worse. Some things have gotten better. Slow down there. We're getting to that. And I just want to come and say thank you for over these last 24 hours still supporting me and everything I do. Oh, stop it. You don't have to be so kind. I'm excited for the next time, and I want you to know that I love you forever, always. I'm happy you think of me in the same way. Thanks, guys. See you later. I am crying right now. <laughs> that was so touching. It was like the the version of me yesterday has just been brought right back mm -hmm. to, to today. Eroded away and washed into something new. That's what you are. A little <laughs> a little rock. Well, that just sounds kind of weird. But. <laughs> if you guys don't understand why I did that, this is from Blue's Clues. It's been going mad viral of this I think dude. we should just show it. We should show it? Yeah, All right, we're just going to show it. All right, hold on. Give me a sec. Um, yeah, now I was like, we're not going to show this first. And now we're like, okay, we're going to show it. So this Blue Clues the Blue's Clues guy. What's his name? Steve. I, I, Steve. All right, Steve. He did a video that just came out either yesterday or today, and he was basically talking about why he left the show 25 years ago. And now this is something that many of you watching are like, why do I care about this? What is important <laughs> about this? Well, there was a lot of theories floating around about this guy, whether he was on drugs or in jail or whatever. Apparently none of that's true. Apparently, no, no one ever knew why No he one left ever knew us. why he left the show. So... And people are freaking out online. This has gone like mad viral. Blue's Clues guy talking. So here we go. Hi. You got a second? Okay. You remember how when we were younger, we used to um, run around and hang out with Blue and find clues and talk to Mr. Salt, freak out about the mail and do all the fun stuff. And then one day I was like, oh, hey, guess what? Big news. I'm leaving. Uh, this is my brother Joe, he's your new best friend, and then I got on a bus and I left. And we didn't see each other for, like, a really long time. Can we just talk about that? Great. Because I, I realized that, that that was kind of abrupt. Um, I just kind of got up and went to college. And, uh, that was really challenging, by the way, but great, because I got to use my mind and take a step at a time, and now I literally am doing many of the things that I wanted to do. And then look at you. And me? Look at me. Look at all you have done and all you have accomplished in all that time. And it just, it's just so amazing, right? I mean, we started out with clues, and now it's what? Student loans and um, jobs and families, and some of it has been kind of hard. You know? Yeah. I know you know. I do. And I wanted to tell you that I, I really couldn't have done all of that without your help. No problem. And in fact, all the help that you helped me with when we were younger is still helping me today, right now. And that's super cool. I guess I just wanted to say that after all these years, I never forgot you. 
ever. Me? And I'm super glad we're still friends. Thanks for listening. You look great, by the way. Whatever it is you're doing, it's working. Don't have to tell me twice about the mustache blues clues, Steve. Thank you. Appreciate it. So that's a video that's going like mad viral right now of people of Steve from Blues Clues talking about how did it make you feel, Taylor? Don't ask me that. I'm I feel I feel bad. I feel like jaded and cynical because I watched that and was kind of like that was kind of weird. But if you look at people's comments on social media, they're like, "Oh my God, that gave me all the feels." And Steve knew exactly what we needed, and this is the deepest thing that's touched my heart in a hundred years. And it's like, I don't know. I I felt like the reaction was a little bit overblown, but I don't want to sound like a, a butthole. So, no, you do kind of sound like a butthole. That is beautiful and glorious, and you are ruining it for everyone else. Why can't we just I have guess. fun without Taylor ruining it? Well, I'm sorry. You asked me. I had to give my honest answer. No, I'm, I, I think I actually agree with you. If, if this is like, I don't know. If almost got here to be like, oh, that was so sweet. I know. We need an almost. Scott, did you think it was precious? Uh, no, you know, I might have a hardened heart, but I, I was in your camp right there. Yeah, I think most men with jobs will look at this and say, you know, that's nice, but it's not anything that I'm going to go crazy over, you know? Yeah. Then you have people who like get all of their emotional I did see an interesting tweet about this on social media. Someone was like, um, people have heard nothing. It's been so long since people heard a message that wasn't trying to manipulate them in some way, but was just sort of like this authentic, non-threatening type of feeling that this broke through. It was like, oh, there's no agenda here, which I'm like, I don't even know. You know, I'm Steve. Like, this guy looks like he's up to something. Like, I, I'm not, I don't trust this yet. You know, it's a movie. Yeah. 25 <laughs> years of drugs in jail will do that. <laughs> it will harden your soul. <laughs> no, I have to reiterate. He didn't go to jail or do drugs. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, he went bald. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's people are saying in the saying. comments. He, was, he, he went. Did, bald. He didn't want to go bald while being the star of a, of a children's show, and so he just left. No, if I went bald, I'd probably leave too. No. It makes sense. So I totally get it. <laughs> I get it. But you know, so no get a wig, man. You've got a great job. Like you can figure it out. I know. The guy from Two and a Half Men did it. Apparently, so. Yeah, he did. Well, yeah, I just learned that too. I had no idea. Anyways. Anyway, we did actually bring Amla on though. To talk about some things that are more important than Blue's Clues, which is hard to believe. I know there are more important things. But we're talking about Google's CRT training. It got exposed by Chris Rufo. And so Amla, Taylor, and I had a discussion about this, and we're going to show you guys that now. Amla, why don't you start us off? <laughs> what do you mean? Why don't I start <laughs> What am I supposed to do? Say hello to the audience. Hi, everybody. It's Amala coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee. And what have you been doing this whole time in Nashville, Amala? Literally sitting in my hotel room. I was just telling Will and Taylor this. I went out one time when I first got here to go to dinner, and I was so annoyed by a drunk man who would not leave me alone that I never went out again. <laughs> that patriarchy, you know, it's it's it's, it's all over It's real, man. It's real. I keep saying it's not real, but... <laughs> Will hates it when drunk men won't leave him alone at bars either. I so. know. I'm trying to go home, and Taylor just won't leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. I should have seen our bachelor party. We've all been Anyway... There. Speaking of men, we are looking at Chris Rufo, a thread from him. You guys know Chris Rufo. He did a PragerU 5-minute video, and he's done a lot of great work when it comes to critical race theory. I think Chris Rufo, if, if you are looking on Twitter and you are like, I need someone 
who is actually going out there and investigating and figuring out where this critical race theory stuff is being implemented. There's no one better than Chris Rufo. He did it with American Express, among some other companies, and, and he's just been on fire exposing this stuff. And I think we're actually going to have him on the show, what, next week? Some, I think next week we're going to actually have him. Yeah, I think yeah. next Tuesday. Oh, excuse me, on the oh show next week. Gosh. The coffee, man, the coffee every morning. I can't help it. You I really, really can't, can't help it. it. It's, rid- it's getting ridiculous. Coffee does not make anyone else burp besides no. you. It makes I me burp. Tyler, I don't know why it makes me burp. I just does. Gosh, I can't you need help to seek it. medical treatment. This is like getting insane. No, I, a medical treatment? I'm not going to die. I'm going to be fine. Well, I'm going to die. I'm going <laughs> to die. Well, maybe it shows how weak you are. I'm like Michael in the office where he's like, I was the victim of a hate crime. <laughs> They're like, Michael, it's not a hate crime. Well, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry that you have to deal with this, okay? You're going to be fine. All right, Christopher Rufo right here. He's got a scoop from Google. Scoop, Google has launched an anti-racism initiative claiming that America is a, quote, system of white supremacy and that all Americans are, quote, raised to be racist, including Ben Shapiro, who is depicted as a layer of the white supremacy pyramid, culminating in quote genocide as a thread first thoughts first thoughts uh you can notice that chris rufo is no longer verified on twitter the blue check is gone that means he's really good at his job at, at exposing crt because twitter does not want other people to know that this man is verifiable yeah i don't i never had a blue check mark i still don't have a blue check mark and i have a lot of followers i mean i have a pretty good amount of followers more than leftist journalists who have blue check marks who are total losers. I take my not having a blue check mark as almost a badge of honor. I'm kind of glad that I don't have it. You yeah. know? Doesn't Dave Portnoy have like a million followers and has no blue check yeah, marks? Yeah, Dave still. Portnoy like has thing. one. Yeah. And then uh, James O'Keefe didn't have one when he was on until they kicked him off, but he didn't have one. What's like, crazy, like the original purpose, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but of a, of a veri- it's a verified badge. It's to, to verify that you are who you say you are because you're a public figure and people would be you know, creating fake accounts to impersonate you. Right. So did they suddenly like have doubts that this is actually Christopher Rufo or are they just like arbitrarily, you know, deciding to like punish him by taking away his blue check? It makes no sense. I don't know. It's like timeout. It's definitely punishment so that people don't recognize his account because then they'll be looking for that blue check and now they don't see it anymore. So it's just so obviously petty and like unnecessary, but it's like also it's kind of like, Okay, who cares? It's a blue icon next to your name. I know. Some people really care about it. Some people do. The blue checkmark leftist journalists care about it so much. They think that because they have a check that their opinions mean Your blue check is not a personality. Exactly. It's not. (laughs) You know? You being a vegan in Los Angeles and having a blue checkmark and writing for Cosmo is not a personality trait. Okay, here's some of the other ones that he goes into. I have obtained a trove of whistleblower documents from inside Google that reveal the company's extensive racial re-education program based on the core tenets of critical race theory, including intersectionality, white privilege, and systemic racism. Here's some of these pictures. Racial equity trainings. Search for racial equity. Join the watch party. That sounds like a party I want to go to. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah. And then allyship learning sessions. So those are just a couple examples of the different sessions they have. And he goes on to say, in a module called Allyship in Action, Google trained employees to deconstruct their racial and sexual identities and then rank themselves on a hierarchy of power and privilege, then manage their reactions through crying and accessing their happy place. That's so weird. They are training the men of Google to be soft. I just don't – where do you go from there? So let's let's – 
let's presume that we do this at PragerU, right? And we, we rank each other on this hierarchy of privilege and power. What do you do after that? You just, you're just like, okay, well, this is, this is the reality. How would you rank us, Amala, um, on a power scale? <laughs> on a scale of Amala to Ben Shapiro, how privileged <laughs> white supremacist are you? <laughs> Will is definitely going on the genocide tier. <laughs> oh, the genocide tier? <laughs> yeah. You're going to see the little pyramid at the end. You're on the genocide tier. What does that even mean? I mean, just look at that mustache. <laughs> that screams Fine. genocidal. Right. No, I, I, I destroy the libs. So <laughs> it oh, makes okay. sense. Okay, did you guys see this little wheel? No. Okay, so look at this little wheel. This is their wheel of power and privilege. And so with this wheel, you can understand what your, I guess, power and privilege is. So the closer you are to the center of the wheel, then the more power that you have. So, or Wait, being slim body size is more powerful than average or large? That's interesting. Yeah. Tell that to Gimli, son of Glowin. Yeah. Willie, I think yeah. you should locate where you land on this wheel. All right, I'm going to find skin color. Let's do it. Dark, different. Sh I'm pretty dark. I tan a lot, so I'm going to go dark. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, okay. Or maybe different shades. I would okay. say different shades because underneath my mustache. Formal education. Uh, <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> there you go. Elementary. Great you. Uh, did you, high did school you graduate education. high school? Okay. Yeah, high school I graduated high school. I am not that bad. Uh, Able-bodied, some disability, significant disability. I would say I have some disability. Okay, sure. I don't know. I have, I have this shoulder pain. I, I have, oh I have tendonitis God. in my shoulder. I actually do have a birth well, injury that makes me uh, yeah. somewhat disabled. Right. So. As do I. Will does not get to use that excuse, though. Only Taylor and I get to use that. Oh, yeah, Amla has her thing, too. What do you mean? I have tendonitis in my shoulder. That's just an oh injury. That's not disability. <laughs> it, I'm yeah. kind. I'm always sore after I work out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sore after I work out. Yeah, yeah that so makes much. sense. Oh. All right. Uh, heterosexual, gay men, uh, lesbian, bi, pan, asexual. So you're right there in the uh, gay area. <laughs> <laughs> right there in the middle, Will. You and I are together, you know, but I, I guess not. Um, neurodiversity? Neurotypical, neuro, neuroatypical, significant neurodivergence. I don't know. You're neurotypical, Will. How do you know? Uh, because I know you. <laughs> I'm like, what's neurotypical mean? For, so you, Will can understand. What does neurotypical <laughs> Explain yeah. it to Will. Only like neurotypical girls will understand. Gosh. Neurodivergence, like ticks, autism, Asperger's, anything like that, that deviates from normal, normal neurotypical oh, okay. traits. All right, so I'm fine. Okay, mental health vulnerable, mostly stable, robust. I would say it's definitely robust. I have. Robust uh, I would say you're definitely vulnerable. When it comes to mental health. <laughs> That's only when you come back next week. <laughs> but right now I am robust. Body size: large, average, slim. I'd say I'm pretty large. Okay. At okay. five foot nine, <laughs> Will Witt. Uh Housing: homeless, sheltered slash renting, owns property. Um, okay, I'm renting, so I'm in the middle. There's some badness. Wealth, poor, middle class, rich. I'm not telling you guys that. <laughs> Language, non-English, learned English or English. English. You learned English, technically. No. Well, it is Where's, my, um, multilingual it is my second on language. Here? After Elvish? No. Entish? After body. <laughs> Body language was my first language. Uh, gender, I'm a cisgender man. Citizenship, I am a citizen. 
Okay. I, I don't know how I come out, but... You're pretty powerful, Will. You're pretty powerful. I am pretty powerful. I'm happy about it. I'm happy to be so powerful. But I think that any of these different people on the wheel, if given the right circumstances and the right amount of work ethic, could be just as powerful as anyone else on the wheel. So now that we've deconstructed your racial and deconstructed your racial and sexual identity, is it time for you to manage your reaction through crying and accessing your happy place? I don't really have a happy place. <laughs> it's time to cope. At least it's, it's definitely not here at work. I thought you said that your happy place was with me on this I podcast. I thought it was Chipotle. Yeah, yeah no, it's in a Chipotle bathroom. <laughs> Chipotle killed the happiness with their trans burritos. Yeah, so. seriously, no, it's no longer my happy place. Okay, in a video, guest lecturer Ibram Kendi claimed that all Americans, including children as young as three months old, are racist. Three-month-old children are racist, apparently. To be raised in the United States is to be raised to be racist. And to be raised to be racist is to be raised to almost be addicted to racist ideas. Take a shot every time he says the word racist. I mean... Honestly. The heartbeat of anti-racism, Ibram X. Kendi, you guys all know this guy. Uh, yeah, he's, there's some pictures right here. Because the youngest of people are not colorblind. I mean, you know, between three and six months, our toddlers are beginning to understand race and see race by two years old. Our little ones are consuming racist ideas and determining who to play with based on skin colors. Gosh, it's so stupid. Ugh. This is not true. I mean, all jokes aside, like, this is indoctrinating young people to ra be racialized from a young age. And this whole, you have to teach kids that they're racist. You know, you have to teach them to be racist. And that's exactly what this guy's ideology is doing. It's like, why are they teaching this to Google employees? I mean, yeah. these your three-year-old is racist, Google employee. Yeah, I know exactly. you're just here to write code for your search algorithm. But I know. You need to know about how racist your three-year-old is. Yeah, I know you're, you're only white. here to silence conservative voices. What's <laughs> the end game with all this? I don't get it. It's like, where does it go from here? Other than destabilizing our, our country and just creating a, an all-out race war, I don't get what other incentive you would have to do this. Well, that that's is exactly what it is. That's yeah. the end game. That's the end game. Destroying America is the end game. And that sounds like, I don't know. Yeah, you remember the, the, the Armageddon either. The BLM leader last year who said, we, we will burn the system to the ground. I mean, that is... The ultimate endgame of these ideologues is they're not trying to improve society um, incrementally as uh, Martin, Martin Luther King uh, did and succeeded at. Um, they're trying to dismantle society and usher in a Marxist utopian revolution. That's, that's, and so as much as they can create division and castigate anything that um, is good about America, they turn it upside down and, and paint it as fundamentally evil and racist and that's the whole goal is to say this is rotten to the core and we need to completely get rid of it and um, start start anew and that's and you know a company as big as Google teaching this stuff to their employees and imagine how that's informing Google controls what you see what so many people see on the internet they control uh, you know more than we can imagine and the if the if the ideology that is underneath their what, how they're um, managing all of that power is based in this anti-American train everybody that we need to destroy the West. Uh, you know, this is where we're headed. But there are like people who are black. Google owns YouTube. And then you have people who are black on YouTube being censored by YouTube or getting their videos demonetized or not or their ideas aren't allowed to be shared on the platform. 
So it's like Google wants to come on and tr teach us diversity training and, and Ibram X. Kendi and stupid racist stuff. But then when it comes to like actual black voices on their platforms, they censor them and yeah. they don't let them speak. So what do you really believe? Yeah. Do you really believe in these things that you're preaching or are you doing it so that other people will think that you actually care when you obviously don't? Right. It's the same thing as we saw yesterday. A certain gubernatorial candidate in California got an egg thrown at him by a person in a gorilla mask. And this is a black man who's a candidate gets uh, egged by a white person with a gorilla mask on. And the mainstream media completely ignores it. Whereas if it were someone who they agreed with, they would the outcry would be wall to wall coverage and it would be the, the worst thing since George Floyd. But, you know, this is how they are, again, managing their power and it just goes to show you like you're saying will like they don't actually believe that the country's racist because if they did they would call out they would be equal whenever uh there are incidences of racism they would be consistent in calling them out and and like you're saying they wouldn't be silencing the conservative voices and they would be consistent in um, the messages that they put out there but instead they're selective and that just goes to show you that it's not about the principles that they're hiding behind it's really about the underlying ideology yeah they're going to create a whole mess of destruction in our country and then all the corporations all these virtue signaling corporations are going to be the ones there to clean it up and help you and save you yeah funny enough the corporations want to help you and save you yeah and the the ceo of google sundar i think that's how you say his name yeah i mean he's a minority he's yeah. I think Indian or maybe yeah. Bangladeshi. Yeah, he is. Okay, yeah, and he's like the CEO, and he made it to be the CEO of Google, like the biggest, one of the biggest companies in the world, and he's a minority in America. Mm -hmm. And you're going to tell me that they're putting out all this anti-racist training about all this stuff. Like, I understand that's only one example, but it's like, come on, man. You don't believe any of the things that you're saying. Come on, man. You know, on, it doesn't make sense. Ice cream. Yeah. Billions of Google uh, searches. All right, so this is the part that specifically pertains to us from this Google thing. Denial of racism is proof that a person is racist. And so for me, the heartbeat of racism is denial, and the sound of that denial is I'm not racist. That's how they get you. They tell you that if you disagree with it, then you are racist. We've spoken about this so often. It's just like now you're not supposed to be racist. And then when you say I'm not a racist, no, you really are a racist. That's not enough. You need to be anti-racist. And now you can't be anti-racist. You have to acknowledge that you have subconscious racism. And it's just an effort to get all white people to admit that they're racist. That's it. And the girl, they did another guest lecture with Nicole Hannah-Jones, who created the 1619 Project. And she comes on to say, if you name anything in America, I can relate it back to slavery. That's literally that game that we play. It's <laughs> right literally the can game. Can we make it racist? Can we make it racist? Where we take different, if you guys have seen this on the show, where we take you guys in the comments leave different objects and then we say how the left would make it as it's racist this is literally what this lady's doing it's beyond parody it's literally our game has become something that she actually believes in well we made the game as a satire of what they do because yeah. it's true um by the way, I, while we're on the Ibram Kendi quotes, did you guys see the other day Chris Verufo actually made a game out of that? Um, he said, how to be woke, anti-woke in five easy steps. Pick an Ibram Kendi quote, change the nouns, add X as your middle name, attribute the quote to yourself, and then tweet it. And so, like an example, he said, denial is a heartbeat of racism. He said, Chris Verufo goes, denial is the heartbeat of wokeness, Christopher X. Rufo. In a woke society, it is not enough to be non-woke. We must be anti-woke. Christopher X. Rufo. <laughs> so you just say all these like you just it just exposes how this guy just talks in like it's like profound but not you know statements that just 
you know, denials the heartbeat of racism. It's like, what, what does that even mean? It's like these empty, vapid words um, that you can just swap out with anything and, you know, put an X in your name and now all of a sudden you sound. Which isn't his name like actually Henry or something or Roger? Anyways. So it's, it's pseudo-intellectualism. Yeah. Someone right. coming on trying to act incredibly smart, but it's really just incredibly vapid. Uh, there's some other stuff in here about overt white supremacy and then covert white supremacy, which we can look at real quick. Here are the things that are overt white supremacy. Um, those things make sense. KKK, lynching, hate crimes. And then here are all the things that are covert white supremacy. Okay, so um, let's see some of these. Eurocentric beauty standards. You don't sound black. Don't blame me. I never owned slaves. That's pretty racist. Make America great again. That's covert white supremacy. Good job. Okay, well, look at this. Look at look how important this is, okay? That Google, all right? Google, who owns YouTube and all sorts of ads that go across our country, like the biggest advertising agency basically in the world putting out ads, they say that Make America Great Again is racist. Do you understand that millions of people are going on their platforms looking at things that have to do with elections, things that have to do with politics, and you don't think that they have a political bias where they are censoring people who might be conservative or support candidates that are on the Republican ticket. When they label in their own classes their diversity stuff that make America great again is covert white supremacy. Like how stupid can you be if you don't think that this is really happening or how blind to the truth if you don't think that they are censoring conservatives when they label this in their own diversity trainings as white supremacy. Yeah, it's disgusting. I mean, they even have, there's only one human race. That is covert white supremacy to claim that. That is crazy. Like, how insane. Any kind of cultural appropriation will, like your uh, sombrero is white covert white supremacy. How about, did you see the um, BIPOC as Halloween costumes? So if you dress up for Halloween as anyone who's a different race from you, then that's also covert white supremacy. These, are, these, these people seriously are teaching this stuff. I know, to Google employees. But I don't know, that one, the election stuff just gets me the most. I'm not telling you to support anything or anyone. I'm just saying that their bias is so obvious. And if you don't think that they have any sort of implication when it comes to this, I mean, it is so huge and important about that. Because they control, they control what the country is going to do. Because everything... Thing that you're seeing about elections and everything is on social media and then they're controlling what you see that is incredibly important yeah it does and it's like you see this with mainstream media too like it doesn't have to be this way the reason why no one in america has any faith in our institutions anymore and any trust in uh big tech or mainstream media or you know any uh, academia any of these major institutions it's because they've chosen to be ideologues and they've cho they've they firmly entrenched themselves on one side and said this is how you must think and this is how you, this is the perspective that you must have and you must agree that if you there it's not there's one human race you can't say that that's white supremacist and if you think otherwise then you're a bad person and we disagree with you and we're going to silence you and we're just going to keep pushing out this propaganda in front of you 24/7 on your google feed and everything else and you know, the, the, the people have lost faith in, in institutions for good reason because they've chosen to be partisan. Yeah, and think about how important and crazy it is that this is Google. Google is in charge of giving you information 
And, you know, their, their CEOs and the people who built this entire company have come out and said, well, we want to know what you search and what you're going to look for before you even look for it. And they're the ones who, when you go on the internet and try to find the answer to a question, they're the ones who are supposed to give you the unbiased information. Clearly, they are biased in a certain direction. And that is super scary to think that these big tech overlords who are in charge of everything that you have access to are, are following this sort of ideology and supporting this side of, of you know, our split here in the nation. Here's uh, the last thing I think we'll show. This is the white supremacy pyramid where you have genocide, mass murder. These are the mass murders here. Horrible. And then it gets down all the way to normalization of white supremacy. So you have all lives matter basically here at the bottom, indifference uh, to minimization where you see Boy, Ben Shapiro down here on the minimization one. Keep going up. You got Donald Trump on the discrimination, uh, fear of POC, anti-immigration policies, mass incarceration, racials, all this stuff. Then you got Gavin McInnes here in the calls for violence one right here on the on burning crosses. I don't, I can't remember the the founder of Vice burning any crosses, but maybe I'm mistaken. But this is just delusional. I mean, all of this is straight up delusional. Like, go outside of Silicon Valley and go talk to a normal person. You will understand that all of this is just BS entirely. I mean, they're painting all these people, like everybody in those pictures. This should be, it's honestly a threat to paint these people as something that they're not. It's libelous, it's slanderous, and it's crazy, especially to see Ben Shapiro up there, considering he talks about the very same things that we do. He just states his opinions, not even opinions, facts. <laughs> That's what he does. And facts. to label him like this, facts, hypothetically. Um, it's just so. I think I saw Amala Epinobi on the bottom of that white supremacy pyramid <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure I'll be up there at some point, and so will Will, and so will Taylor. We want to just show you this real quick. We're, we'll go through parts of this rather quickly. But this is a five-minute video from James Damore, who worked at Google, and he did a five-minute video with PragerU, and I just want to show you a little bit because it's important for what we were just talking about. Me, for doing something unforgivable, something so controversial that it was the number one news story for days. My crime, I wrote an internal document that, among other things, suggested that men and women, on average, are different. Like I told you, unforgivable. The politically progressive viewpoint, which is dominant at Google and in the media, is that all disparities in society are due to injustices, or in this case, that the gender gap in tech is solely due to some form of sexism. But is this true? The politically correct answer is yes, and Google acts accordingly. It treats men and women differently during hiring and promotion, holds official women-only events, and gives mandatory sensitivity training on how to combat alleged sexist bias. Of course, all of this makes sense if sexism is indeed the sole cause of the imbalance. But what if men and women are not exactly the same? Then sexism is just one of many possible causes of the imbalance. And exclusionary programs and differential treatment can be a counterproductive form of sexism. These practices actually increase tensions and make some feel like Google cares more about their gender than their programming ability. So that's a video from James Damore, which you guys can go check out. It's not new or anything. It's kind of older, but um, I just to show you a couple of years ago, this was a you know he he wrote his treatise about this and exposed mm -hmm. how they were teaching this gender theory stuff. But um, and now it's the race stuff, and it's the same same type of thing, but 
it just to me raises the question like where how do you guys think this actually starts like where does this come from why does the companies want to all of a sudden say like hey we need to do, we need to do this diver diversity training we need to do this you know sexism training um where does it come from why did where like what's the origin of it honestly i think they gauge the political temperature of just the nation in general they're looking through media and seeing what people are talking about and then they go well how can we push this narrative further how can we make it more divisive because corporations have a vested interest in doing that because once they know that they can destabilize make uh you know everything into a war whether that's based on sex and gender or on race or identity uh they get to profit off of it and that's that's it. As long as they can line their pockets, it doesn't really matter what they do. Yeah, I think it's the most profitable avenue for many of these corporations that they see. And they say, okay, if I do this, then people will think that, like, I really care about the world and all this other stuff and these progressive values. And so then they will want to get paid or that people will want to buy their products for it. But I think it's a lot more than that. I think it, it comes from, from more than that because... I think a lot it, of them genuinely think they're doing good by doing it. I, I think a I lot think there's of definitely a profit motive in um, on some level, um, but you know because there's plenty of people like I have family members, friends who, um, you know, are always posting the woke stuff, and I they're not worried they're not doing it because they're getting profit, you know, but they they sincerely believe they're doing good and being nice. But I mean, Amelie, you know how how it is with when, when you were uh, a woke leftist. Like you weren't like trying to line your pockets. You sincerely right. believed that the police were killing people disproportionately, and you cared about that. And you, you know what I mean. So like, I just wonder like, how does this? It's the problem is this stuff is detached from reality, and they're like redefining terms, and they can't even define what a woman is anymore. But they're pushing this woke stuff, and but how do you get to a place where you don't even care about facts and the truth anymore, and you're instead see, see it as your moral duty to like indoctrinate your company with uh, this, this ideology? That's why I think it's important. It's it's important to draw the distinction between elites and between regular everyday people. When I was a leftist, I was a regular average person. I was being indoctrinated by higher ups and elitists who are funding it. So Google is not the average leftist doing things out of empathy. They are gaining profit from it and they are uh, gaining lobbying points with politicians from doing it. So they're elites who are tricking their employees into believing that they are doing something good. And in the meantime, they are lining their pockets. They are getting in line with leftist politicians who will then seek power and higher office. And when they do seek power and higher office, they give these companies and these big tech uh, corporations breaks and they allow them to go on and continue to do what they're going to do because they work in this sort of symbiotic relationship so i there's a very big distinction for me between the average everyday leftist and elitist so you don't think any person who's in a position of power sincerely believes in wokeism i think that there are those that sincerely do but the people who are above them i mean like the people really pulling the strings pushing these corporations to put out the same line of commercials all the times and to go through the same campaigns it's like it, there's no surprise that while google is doing this so is amex so is raytheon so is ford it doesn't like they're all in conjunction with each other they're not doing this for good yeah i think it might be somewhat inherently impossible to believe that you are doing something so morally righteous when behind the scenes you are doing things that are morally reprehensible at the same time it's like if you know that you are doing things that do not benefit people but then are pushing a different narrative that does benefit people i don't think that you can feel like morally obligated to do something it's all for your own vanity and gain i think that people's own vanity is like like thinking about people's will to live when they don't have a real religion 
it is for themselves. They create a religion out of themselves. They become the god of their world, essentially. And so when they're the god of their world, then the entire reason for life is to find things that will make them feel good and things that will make them more uh, have more control over other things. And so through that is doing things like pretending to be woke and moral, you know, moral that the left has decided, and thus gaining power that way. And so then they they create their own world as their god. So I think that it is kind of inherently impossible to be super genuine about it as someone who is in that position of power. I think it's a huge mix of people who think they're doing good and who uh, who know that they're not. It's like when I think about working at the other organization, I'm, I'm sure the, the CEOs of all these leftist organizations that I was working in tandem with believed that they were doing good and were setting out to change the world. And sure, they made money off of it and they were powerful because of it. Uh, but they felt like they were doing something empathetic. They felt like they were compassionate. They felt like they were doing the wrong thing. Now, does George Soros, who comes down and gives a million dollars here, a million dollars there, a billion dollars there, think that he's doing the right thing? Absolutely not. He knows he's not doing the right thing. So it's it's the ability of elites who know what they're doing is morally reprehensible and tricking people into thinking what they're doing is morally good. That is the problem. It's just not even it's not even like a leftist problem though. It's just like a humanity problem. Yeah, it's the same yeah. thing with people who are on the right who are Republicans. I mean you'll see people who we'll refer to as grifters, who who go out there and make it seem like they're trying to do something good for the world or, or uh, Republican GOP people who claim that they have your best interests at heart and then aren't actually doing anything to help you. And so you might think that looking at these people from the outside that they have good intentions, but I don't think that they can genuinely say that they do if they know that they are going against their values and the things that they preached about. If you go and you say something and you say, I believe in A, and then you go and do B. I think that it is impossible for you to actually be doing A for good intentions. Because if you actually did, then you wouldn't be doing B. You understand? It's like you can't say that you're trying to do something good and then do the opposite. Well, I think they and, justify and it to themselves up. that when, as soon as you convince yourself when you are in a position of power that the end justifies the means, then like all manner of evil opens up to you. And like another example would be like in Australia, what we're seeing with the lockdowns now. Like I think that the, the leaders in power who started implementing these, you know, strong measures to crack down on people and make them do lockdowns um, came from a place of, Hey, we need to eradicate this virus. We're scared. We need to, uh, and this is the the way to do it. And if you're not, you know, complying with this, then you're hurting the collective or whatever. But then, little by little, like the 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 end the end of a healthy you know country or whatever, or eradicating the virus starts to justify the the means which of are increasingly reprehensible. And now you have their army patrolling the streets, and people aren't allowed to drive five miles across town, and uh, it's ab absolutely people are getting arrested and fined thousands of dollars for just you know planning um, things on Facebook. And because the, in the minds of those in, in authority or in power, the end justifies the means, and that's exactly the same of like Stalin. You know he. He believed that the communist utopia was worth, you know, there was no, and Mao too, like no, no number of deaths could, was uh, not worth sacrificing for the revolution and for the cause. And I just wonder if, um, with the woke companies, I think it's a little bit m more fuzzy because. Yeah, but Mao didn't think that he was doing, it, I can guarantee you in his head, he didn't think like, oh, all of these people dying is morally right. Like there's no way no, unless but, you have that level but of delusion. He, but to he have persuaded himself that my goal is worth it. Right. You can persuade yourself that, but saying that that is because of good intentions to be morally 
Right. I don't think you can say the same thing. But I'm saying, like, the, for these companies, for the people that are, like, that are running Google and making them do diversity training, their goal might be, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily buy that it's, like, to control the world and pull strings and stuff I, or divide people and make more profit. I think, I think that is, like, maybe something that um, is part of the feedback loop that keeps it going further and further. But I think at its outset, and I think why these ideas are so... Um, dangerous and so appealing to everyday people is because on their face they have the veneer of oh well we want we want to be not racist we want to be more you know equitable we want to you know men and women to be equal and they they like appeal to that part of people but um, they're willing to sacrifice you know toward that end they're willing to sacrifice truth and they're willing to sacrifice our you know values of uh, having to go off of evidence and, you know, being tethered to reality on the way. And when that's lost, you just have this, uh, I don't know, we just have this crazy society where um, everything's imploding and you just have this ideology and it's all, everything becomes about, are you, are you uh, serving the ideology and, and pushing that further in society? And are you compliant with it instead of, are we all playing by the same rules of, truth and evidence and re reason, um, which is what liberalism and Judeo-Christian values used to give us. And But the more we get away from that, there you can't build a, a functional society on top of anything else. And that's why America is the only country that's ever worked. Well, the, the veneer that you're talking about and the, the stuff with the anti-racist stuff works in shame. It doesn't work on like a sense of empowerment. So these people who are the elites, they can delude themselves as much as they want. But I don't think that they think that they are doing morally good things when they see that the actions when actually put into place don't actually do good. And then going back to the Australia thing you were talking about, I don't know because I, I like you look at the people in Washington, D.C. and the people in Congress here in America, these people don't even read the bills. They don't even read the bills. They have some college graduate who who basically partied his way through college reading a bill that could decide 3.5 trillion dollars of American taxpayer dollars and it's some college some kid who just graduated college and that's who we have running our country and so it's like the same thing in Western countries all around the world where it's like these leaders are not doing enough work with how we have bureaucracy set up in the 21st century to say that we really like care and are going to do good things or that these things we're doing oh we really care about it because they're not putting in the work if they put in the work to actually do the research about what these things actually mean then they would know that like children like here in los angeles now they're doing the vax requirements for children 12 to 18 in in, in schools here they would know that children have like a 99.99 percent survival rate they would know that but since they don't actually do the research, it shows that they don't actually care. So there's no way that they can think that they're doing moral, moral right things. Well, I'm saying this, I'm essentially saying the same thing, though, because like I'm saying truth gets lost and facts get lost in translation whenever you're and when you can right. say the end justifies the means. Yeah, but and that's they can't exactly say what they're, you're saying. Yeah, but they can't say they're morally good or they're searching for moral good if they are not searching for truth. Because if they search for truth, that's like the highest level, essentially, of like searching for morality. Everything is if you aim for truth above everything else. But if you don't do that, then you cannot truly yeah. say that you are doing this for good intentions. And so I think that if you have elites who are there and saying like, oh, we just want all this racist stuff and white people suck and everything, but they're not searching for any kind of truth or silencing, especially in Google's case, silencing people of a different view, there's no way that they can say that they are morally right. But, and I think where all these problems stem from is we don't have a concrete definition of truth and goodness um, that uh, that we all agree upon um, that we can judge uh, action you know judge our uh, aims by you know and so the collapse of 
of morality and truth in our society is what is making it so unclear what people's motives actually are. Yeah, it's very true. I think like the the right in a lot of ways looks through the lens of sort of freedom, success, opportunity, and that's their measure of what is morally good and morally right, while the left looks through the lens of emotion and suffering. So if you guys are on two different planes as to what uh, justifies success or what defines what true freedom is or what true moral goodness is, then you're never going to agree on the tactics you should use to get there. Yeah. And we, but we used to have liberalism, a shared framework of, you know, okay, well, we're both still, if, if I cite facts and show it with evidence, um, we used to have that to help be the arbiter of how we can negotiate those different planes that we're operating on. But now I feel like one, one side does not care about facts. And that's where, why you're seeing even a lot of, you know, liberals, classic liberals, um, come over and join with conservatives who could, because we're both still at least operating in the world of facts and reason. Um, whereas these ideologues have completely abandoned that. And that to me is the, the, the ideologues is like a cancer on what the Western civilization and that we cannot let them win. Well said. I agree. I concur. Thanks. That was a fun, fun rabbit hole of philosophical discussion, guys. <laughs> is that it, guys? We, we just talked about Google for like 40 minutes. So I hope you guys are interested in this conversation. It's bigger than Google, though. It's bigger than Google, even though there's basically no company. So we're bigger than Google. It is bigger than Google. We talked about the whole, all the ideologies, all the things. Yeah, well, it's really important. It is. I say this all the time, but it's not, it's not left versus right. It's truth versus yeah. evil. Essentially, it's truth versus lies. Principle over party. Yes, because they they use the parties and they use the political ideologies to keep you in a box, to keep you controlled. That's how they do it. That's how they can keep you stuck in their boxes to make you to go a certain way or to think a certain way. Don't think inside their boxes that they set out for you. Be a truth seeker and look to destroy lies. I mean, look what George Washington said when he left office. Our very first president warned us and told us not to do any sort of political party fighting because this is where it would lead. And he was absolutely right. So uh, everything the founding fathers said still remains true. Well, thanks for coming on, Amala. We appreciate you a lot. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Yeah. Thank you for having me again. I was really excited when I got the call and that you wanted me to be on the show again. I'm sure it was well received by your audience and that's why, but uh, thank you. I bet it's a big deal to have someone on two days in a row. Well, you know? we're, we're just really trying to push our diversity initiative, and so that's why we <laughs> brought you back on. It's such a huge deal for me to be talking to at Will Witt and at Taylor Trandall. So. That's at the Will Witt to you. <laughs> oh, so sorry. Well, now you're never I coming on I swear I'm a big again. fan. I swear. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, thanks, Amla, for coming on, and we'll see you uh, maybe tomorrow. we got some stuff with you. Go get some Nashville hot chicken and biscuits. Mm -hmm. I had Hattie B's boy. It was pretty good. Not as good as Dave's, but it was good. Wow. Amala's yeah. going to be in her hotel room all day. I am. She, she might even open the blinds and let some sunlight in. Who knows? I'm scared of drunk men at bars and restaurants. So. so so am I. Maybe Australia, to keep everyone quarantined, just needs to unleash a bunch of drunk men on the streets. <laughs> I'm terrorizing people. Four stars. Yeah, man. <laughs> right. How you doing, Amala? Looking good over there, Matt. Yeah. PTSD. Like All right. See you, Amala. Bye. Peace. <laughs> what a fantastic segment by us that we pre-recorded this morning 
and put up live for you guys to watch, okay? So I was reading your comments. That was me in the chat, okay? The guy who said mustache gang, that was me in the chat. That's really me. So just so you guys know, okay? And we got some super chats that we weren't able to read because that was a pre-recorded segment with Amla, but I want to read some of the super chats now. We got Lone Wolf 36 who said Google's motto used to be don't be evil. It is now do the right thing. That says everything you need to know in the current conversation context. Evil is now permitted. Couldn't have said it better myself. And Jake Chekalinski said whoever is monitoring this chat, are they not answering super chats? Was this pre-recorded? Yes. <laughs> that was a pre-recorded was. segment, but it, was a, it is a live show. But it is a live show. We are live again now. Or are we? <laughs> who knows, huh? Um, yeah, so that was that was good. Amala was able to come on and do that. She'll be gone tomorrow. We got some other exciting stuff for tomorrow for Fun Friday as well, and also some stuff with 9-11. So I want to show you guys this video. Let me pull this up. This is from Los Angeles. Okay, so you might think, oh, this is Brazil, this is El Salvador. No, this is Melrose Avenue Shopping District yesterday afternoon in broad daylight. Let's watch this. That that makes your day pretty horrible if that happens to you. That's on Melrose. Like Will and I both used to live in Hollywood within like half a mile of where that happened. And that was like on a I don't know what restaurant it was specifically, but no. you know, just that you could we've I've dined outside on Melrose Avenue before. All the time. Yeah. You go to Melrose, you go to Santa Monica Boulevard. I mean all that right there with like Beverly Hills and, and Hollywood. It's like how does that happen? How has it gotten to this point where that's happening? I mean, I think after today, we can't really talk about the stuff that the administration talked about today because of 501c3 stuff with PragerU. But just in reference to that, I think we can all say that things are getting a, a lot crazier here. Things are getting worse, and it's making people go mad and able to think that they can get away with whatever they want. And that's a bad precedent to set. A very bad precedent to set that we now have in America that people can get away with what they want and the government protects people who do evil and hurts people who want to get the truth out there or, 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 or law-abiding citizens wants to not protect those people and protect people who commit evil. I mean, look in San Francisco with the amount of crime that's happening there and they are building drug tents for people to go and consume illegal drugs instead of working on programs that are going to get people off the streets, that are going to get people jobs, make them so they're not homeless anymore and make it so that they can have some sort of rehabilitation off of drugs. They give them free needles. Imagine if you were addicted to drugs and you walk by this tent funded by the government, funded by people's taxpayers and they say, oh yeah, you can come in here for free and do drugs. It's like, oh, that's really going to deter you from being a drug addict? Of course it's not. There are no programs. Like, the, the governments of these leftist places are not putting in programs that deter crime and deter people from making irresponsible choices. They are putting in things that incentivize people to do the wrong thing. That's what we're seeing all over the country right now in these big urban blue cities. Yeah, I mean, not to mention... Um, well, first of all, what when this this thief stole uh, these goods from off the table in the shopping bags in the purse, if there was less than nine hundred and fifty dollars worth of goods and money in those things, would he not be prosecuted according to current LA laws? And 
meanwhile, like you're saying, in San Francisco, what are they paying people not to shoot people, right? Or is, isn't that right? Pay, yeah, you, yeah, they're paying people $300 to not shoot people. Yeah, so this guy just must have not got his check yet and is, you know, <laughs> making some noise to, you know, make sure he gets gets his gets paid mm-hmm. by stealing things and making more money. I mean, being a criminal is a lucrative uh, profession these days. Yeah, I wonder if they're paying people to hit people with eggs. I don't know. Maybe that's their new <laughs> initiative is what it seems like in California. It's it's so it's so terrible here. It's so terribly run. It's unbelievable. There are like there are no words to describe it. I mean, there are words. And it's coming to you, America. Yeah. I mean, it is let like it, happen. it is Mordor out here essentially. And yeah. Los Angeles is is Barador. <laughs> it is it is just getting worse and worse in every single. Amla's not here to stop our Lord of the Rings references, so, yeah, so we're just going all out while, while she's We can not. do a lot more. Just will you guys wait? I missed our fantasy football league draft yesterday. I know. So I was watching. I put you on auto draft. How did I do? Uh well, you have a lot of bench players. A thirty percent chance. <clears throat> I like those odds. That's the lowest. Yeah. Why'd you choose bad players for me? I didn't choose them. It's auto drafted. Oh, okay. you weren't there. Fine. I was watching Lord of the Rings, so I couldn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a movie you've seen a million times and can watch it any possible well, time. You know, it's uh, you have to pay attention to Theoden's speech. Like I want to get those chills. If I'm not watching so intently, I put on I'm Lord of the Rings because I don't have to pay attention because it plays in my mind uh, five no, seconds before every line is set. <laughs> I no, I gotta watch. Anyway, this goes on to this blatant organ shoplifters walk out of Lowe's with full carts. You guys might have seen this, but videos of shoplifters stealing thousands of dollars worth of electrical wires from a Lowe's store in Oregon has angered local residents. It was so blatant. That's what riled me up. Kaiser or resident Andrew Sullivan, who filmed the incident, told the Kaiser Times they were just strolling through the parking lot, just riding the carts. The incident unfolded in broad daylight. On August 25th, with the video showing two men pushing shopping carts loaded with electrical wire, walking out of the Lowe's doors as two employees are helpless to stop them. Does he, do you have the video here? Um, I think so. Right? Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I guess you gotta let the ad play, but... Is this an ad? That looks like an ad. Okay. I Anyways. Like this ad play. Oh, that looks like some good pizza. I love hands in my pizza. Um, Jake says, I'm not gonna tell you how to run your show, but you guys have got to monitor your super chats better. I sent you two. Please answer the first one. I saw another one about Larry Elder, which we cannot this isn't talk an about. Ad. But uh, yeah, sorry, Amla usually does the super chats. I know I, th- this <laughs> thing now, just runs off the rails when Amla's not here. I know. Guys. What are we supposed to do? I mean, Amla is the one who does the super chats, and now it's, it's we're not stopped. used to like doing all the work. Well, so. no, because it's like I'm talking, and then it's like you know how how can I look at the super chats at the same time while I'm talking at the same and pulling up the stories all at the same time? You know, we we got to have Amla to do that. So I know it's thrown off our whole mojo. I know. I'm usually like monitoring the chat more too. Uh-huh. Um, while I'm listening, you guys are carrying the conversation, and I just chime in when I can. But right. now I'm like having to focus on the conversation. Uh-huh. It's just yeah, it's rough out here, guys. Yeah. All right, Scott, you saw some super chats. You want to read them? Oh, the t- okay. Dylan has another one here. It's about money. Countries have sovereign wealth funds with trillions, massive collections of wealth. Many only invest in companies with good ESG. ESG includes environmental racism, climate risk, director of diversity. That's a real thing, the ESG thing. Yeah, of course it's a real thing. Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely a real thing. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to get too much into that, but you guys saw that video out of Australia with that lady saying the quiet part out loud. So, yeah, you know know what's going on. (laughs) Can't really talk about that too much either right here. But, yeah. well, I think that's about the show today. (laughs) 
<laughs> we really need Amla back, apparently. <laughs> no, the show is fine. The show is good. We just missed some super chats and, and all of that. And it was fine. The Blue's Clues thing in the beginning, really funny. Very funny. Very funny. No, I, I busted a seam laughing. <laughs> so I busted my gut. But we appreciate you guys tuning in. If you guys want to listen to us, stop laughing, Tyler. <laughs> Calm down. All right? Uh, we, we really appreciate you listening to the show. And if you want to just listen to the show where you don't have to watch us because maybe you're busy, something like, out, something like that, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, whatever else it might be. You can also uh, join PragerForce, which is our student program. That's for young professionals under the age of 35 in high school, college, young professionals around the world. I got started in PragerForce. Amala got started in PragerForce. It's a great opportunity for all of you guys to get more involved when you're seeing the evil and all these horrible things taking place across the world. And you say, I want to do something. I want to get involved. I'm a young person in America or across the world who says, I believe in freedom, join PragerForce so that you can be a part of the digital fight to actually get things done and make a change in the country that you live in. Because we need those changes and we need you guys to stand up and be strong against these things. Because we can't all do it. I mean, I can't do this by myself. I need all hands on deck. All the, all the people who speak out need all hands on deck with people supporting them to make these changes happen. And so PragerForce is a great vessel for, for you to be able to make that change. So make sure PragerForce.com, go join the program, get involved, and you can do a lot of good with that. Appreciate you guys tuning in today. Thank you so much. PragerU.com slash DBU if you're interested in a $1,000 scholarship from Dallas Baptist University. And we are going to see you guys tomorrow. Peace. See ya.